Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Blessings this Christmas, ladies and gentlemen. We are between Christmas and New Year's, and we have a number of questions we're going to get to today. One of them is, what do you say to people who deny objective morality that there really is a right or wrong, and how does this even relate to the reason for Christmas? Another question, what do you think of near-death experiences? Are they real? What do they tell us about Christianity? Another question, how do you tactfully correct Christians who are believing heresies? These are questions that came in either via email or on our live stream the other night. Also, we have a question regarding uh, the war, the supposed war between Christianity and science. Is there really a war between Christianity and science? No, there's actually a war between atheism and science. We're going to get into all that a little bit later in the program. We're answering your questions today, but first... An update on the fiasco at Harvard. Alan Dershowitz, who, as you know, is a, a, an attorney, a Jewish, liberal, uh, taught at Harvard for many years, wanted to write an op-ed in the Harvard Crimson about the whole fiasco with the president, Claudine Gay. And uh, he wanted to write a an editorial about it. And in the New York Post, he wrote this, This and we'll put this in the show notes. Uh, the Harvard Crimson refuses to publish my letter critical of President Claudine Gay. And uh, you can read the article for yourself. This is a piece by uh, Alan Dershowitz. But there is one sentence in this article I want to draw your attention to, this opinion piece. And this is the editorial board at the Harvard Crimson speaking. Here's what they say. It's in one sentence, and the context is they're trying to say why they uh, are doing what they're doing, siding supposedly with the, with the oppressed. Here's the sentence. It is our categorical imperative to side with and empower the vulnerable and oppressed, unquote. Okay, that sums up everything. This explains completely why Harvard University and the Harvard Crimson are doing what they're doing. Because they're buying in to this woke ideology that puts people into groups, that there is an oppressed group and an oppressor group. And if you're in the oppressed group, you can't be wrong. We're going to side with you and we are going to do everything we can to support you, even if you're morally bankrupt, even if you're doing immoral things, even if you're coming across the border and raping and executing women and children, we're going to side with you. That's their categorical imperative. That's why they're supporting Hamas over Israel. That's why they won't come out and say it's wrong to call for the genocide of Jews. As I pointed out on the last podcast, would calling for the genocide of blacks, gays, or transgenders violate Harvard's values? Well, of course it would. But if it's Jews, I don't know if we can say that. Ladies and gentlemen, who are the most impressed 
let me put it, who are the most oppressed people in the history of the world? It's not hard to figure out. It's Jews. They've been oppressed for millennia. Christians have also been oppressed, obviously, but Jews per capita have been oppressed more than any people group in the history of the world. So Harvard, if you're going to buy into this woke ideology, how can you say that the Jews are the oppressors and they're not oppressed? They've been oppressed forever. They were oppressed by Hamas murdering women and children on October 7th. And it goes long before that. Obviously, this has been going on for centuries. So wokeness, the idea that we're going to treat people based upon the group they're in rather than the behavior is morally ridiculous. It's anti-Bible and it's anti the sentiment put forth by Martin Luther King, who got it from the Bible when he said it isn't. I have a dream that one day my four children are going to be treated based not on the color of their skin, but on the content of their character. Yet Harvard and the rest of the woke ideologues are going to do exactly the opposite. They're going to they're going to put you into identity groups and treat you based on that identity group rather than your behavior. That's what racism is. That's what they're doing. And they're claiming they're anti-racist. Now, I didn't point this out. I ran out of time on the My Truth versus Your Proof, uh, Your Truth at Harvard podcast we did about a week ago. But let me also point out that Harvard University was started by Christians, as were 106 of the first 108 universities in the United States. And, uh, of course, Harvard was started long before there actually was a United States. And Harvard began on John 17.3. John Harvard was a, was a clergyman who wanted, to who wanted to train preachers. And in Harvard's Rules and Precepts, you can Google this, by the way, Google Harvard's Rules and Precepts. It's dated September 26th, 1642. And here are three of the rules and precepts from Harvard. Rule number two. Rule number one had to do with, with Latin and Greek. But rule number two says this. Let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well. The main end of his life and studies is to know God in Jesus Christ, which is, which is eternal life. John 17, 3. Let me stop right there. That's what we've been saying is the purpose of life, to know God and Jesus Christ. That's John 17, 3. That's why you're here, to know God and then to make him known when you throw the Great Commission in. Knowing God does, doesn't mean just intellectually, but knowing God personally, not just believing that Jesus is the Savior, but trusting in him. And that's what Harvard was started on. Anyway, this rule and precept goes on to say, and therefore to lay Christ in the bottom as the only foundation of all sound knowledge and learning and seeing the Lord only giveth wisdom. Let everyone seriously set himself by prayer in secret to seek it of him. Proverbs two and three. This is Harvard's founding. Rule number three, everyone shall so exercise himself in reading the scriptures twice a day 
that he shall be ready to give such an account of his proficiency therein, both in theoretical observations of the language and logic and in practical and spiritual truths as his tutor shall require according to his ability, seeing the entrance of the word giveth light, it giveth understanding to the simple. And then it, it's, it's saying that the quotation is from Psalm 119 and Psalm 130. Then get this, this is rule number four. Again, Harvard's Rules and Precepts for Students, dated September 26, 1942. Rule number four, and they eschewing all profanation of God's name, attributes, word, ordinance, and times of worship, do study with good conscience, good conscience carefully to retain God and the love of his truth in their minds, else let them know that notwithstanding their learning, God may give them up to strong delusions and in the end to a reprobate mind. 2 Thessalonians 2, 11, 12, and Romans 1, 28. So rule number Four says you better stay close to God and you better study his wisdom or God may give you up to a strong delusion or strong delusions and a reprobate mind. Ladies and gentlemen, I submit to you that is exactly what has happened to Harvard. They've given up on God and now they've given in to strong delusions and a reprobate mind. When you can't say that calling for the genocide of Jews is wrong, You've been given up to a reprobate mind. And when the president of Harvard talks about my truth rather than the, the truth, yet on the seal of Harvard University is the word veritas in Latin meaning truth. Not Claudine Gay's truth, but the truth. When you have the president not able to acknowledge that there's only the truth, not her truth or your truth or my truth, just the truth, Harvard has fallen completely away from its founding. Why go there if they're not going to teach you the truth? If they're just going to teach their own preferences, their own opinions, what's the point? And this whole idea about trying to give minorities special treatment is anti-biblical. The Bible talks about not giving advantage to the poor or the rich, but treating people based on their behavior. And of course, Paul talks about this in Galatians chapter 3. There's neither slave nor free, Jew nor Gentile, man nor woman. We're all one in Christ Jesus. In other words, these distinctions, these, these, this, uh, this hierarchy that people try and put themselves in with regard to I'm better than you or you're better than me or whatever. No, we're all one in Christ. Not to say that those distinctions don't still exist. Of course, there's men and women. Of course, there's Jew and Gentile, slave nor free, they're slave and free. But he's saying that in Christ, we're all equal under Christ. And we should not be treating people differently based on what group we've artificially put them in. I mean, you know, a, a, a groundbreaking person of course in sports was Jackie Robinson. He was the first black player to play in the Major League Baseball. But ladies and gentlemen, did Major League Baseball give Jackie Robinson four strikes rather than three to help him out? I mean, if they did, that would have been degrading. They'd be saying, look, Jackie, because of your skin color, you're not quite as good as anybody else, as everyone else here, all the white people. So we're going to give you four strikes rather than the whites who just get three. That would be degrading. To Jackie Robinson. 
And of course, they didn't do that. Why do we do it in the rest of the society? Why is Harvard doing it? You don't give people special treatment because of their race. That's racism. When you're saying that a person, because of his race, needs extra help, you're saying, well, they're defective. They need extra help. That's not affirming to them. Thomas Sowell, as you know, who grew up in Harvard, Harvard, Harlem, he grew up in Harlem. Yeah, Harlem was better than Harlem was better when he grew up than Harvard is now. Let me just say that. And Thomas Sowell will tell you that. He said when he grew up in 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 Harlem, you know, he he slept on the fire escape. He could walk through the through women could walk through Har, Harlem in the middle of the night. There was never any problem. Anyway, Thomas Sowell said that when he was a professor at Cornell, Cornell was involved in affirmative action, and uh, he said that some minorities were admitted to Cornell when they didn't have the intellectual ability at the time to be admitted and they flunked out he said if they were allowed to apply or if they had applied and were accepted to a school say a notch or two below cornell they would have been superstars but they didn't have the capacity they didn't have the ability at the time they didn't show the grades as other people had to get into cornell yet cornell put them in anyway and it hurt them. It didn't help them. So that's just a little update on what's going on. And you might know that recently there's been more charges of plagiarism against Claudine Gay, the president of Harvard. She should be gone for that. But actually, a bigger violation is her inability to say that the genocide of Jews was against Harvard's values. She should be gone for either of those. But to just say, well, she plagiarized, which she did. It's even coming out more and more that she plagiarized just about everything she's done. In fact, she's only written 11 academic articles. She hasn't written any books. And she's the president of Harvard University. I've written more books than Claudine Gay. But apparently, Claudine Gay has been put in as a diversity, equity, and inclusion hire, which has nothing to do with diversity, equity, and inclusion, as you know. But we've talked about that on programs here before. Let me move on to some of your questions now. Dylan writes in, hello, Frank. I've been listening to your podcast for a while now, and I want to thank you for what you do. It's been very helpful to me. I work with a campus ministry on a college campus in Colorado. We'd love to come out, Dylan. Just contact us at crossexamine.org. Click on invite us to campus. We'll see about coming out. Anyway, Dylan says, I've been in campus ministry for nine years now. I wanted to reach out and ask a question. Maybe you could do a podcast on at some point. One of my student leaders that are training to reach out to her classmates and share Jesus was talking to me this week about a conversation she had with some classmates, and she was asking me how to respond. The conversation started out about morality. And these students she was talking to take the view that there is no objective morality. That is just a social construct. My student asked them, so is what Hitler did okay? They said, yes, there is no problem with what Hitler did. All right, let me, let me stop right here. Somebody says that you just need to say to them, get help, because they don't really believe that. They don't. Jay Bujashevsky, who wrote the seminal book, uh, What We Can't Not Know, who teaches at UT Austin, 
said, you know, I used to try and convince people who said that the Holocaust wasn't wrong, that it really was wrong, or people who say that murder isn't wrong. It's just a preference. I used to try and convince them it was really wrong. And then I realized that, wait, they already know it's wrong. I, I can't convince them of something they already know. So what he would say is to them, you don't really have any doubt that murder is wrong, do you? And most of them would say, no, I, I know it's wrong. You don't have any doubt that raping and torturing and then murdering children is really wrong now, do you? I mean, that's a really high price to pay for atheism. If you want to remain an atheist, are you going to really say that the rape and murder of children isn't really wrong? Because that's what you have to say if you're an atheist. Anyway, Dylan goes on to say, my student asked them, so what Hitler did is okay. They said, yes, there's no problem with what Hitler did. Our society makes too big a deal of murder and suicide. Let me stop right here. Too big a deal. What does that mean? What do you mean too big a deal? As if you're judging what society does against some standard. Our society shouldn't make too big a deal of murder and suicide. You mean in a moral sense? What moral standard are you using to say that? Anyway, Dylan goes on to say, if someone wants to commit suicide, they should be able to do that. Again, should be. What do you mean? That's a moral standard. On one hand, you're claiming there's no objective moral standard. On the other hand, you're saying a person should have a right to commit suicide. Well, if there's no objective moral standard, that person doesn't have that right because there are no rights. You're stealing from God to argue against him. By the way, if you want to go into this in more depth, more than we can cover here in a Q&A on a podcast, get my book, Stealing from God, Why Atheists Need God to Make Their Case. We have a whole chapter on this kind of nonsense. Dylan goes on to say that these students said murder is not wrong because there's no meaning to life and no value to human life. What do you think would happen, ladies and gentlemen, if someone took out a gun and put it in that person's face, the person who said this and said, there's no meaning to your life. Um, it's fine for me to shoot you, right? Of course, they're going to say no. Anyway, the person goes on to say, it's all just based on social constructs that our society puts up. Which society? Mother Teresa's or Hitler's society? I mean, again, if you're going to say it's just a social construct, then you obviously can't say that Mother Teresa was better than Hitler. Mother Teresa, the Catholic nun who helped the poor most of her life in Calcutta, India. You can't say that Mother Teresa was better than a, a genocidal maniac dictator. Now, we all know in our hearts that's ridiculous. And by the way, if there is no objective morality, there's no need for a savior, which means there's no need for Christmas. Why would Jesus have to come into this world if he didn't have to save us from sin? As Paul says in Galatians 2, if righteousness could be accomplished by the law, then Christ died in vain. Yeah, there's no reason to send his innocent son to be our sacrifice, our substitute, unless there's a real objective morality we violated. And by the way, I don't buy these people who say there's no objective morality. These are the same people who think that it's wrong to emit carbon. It's wrong to not fight climate change. These are the same people to say that would say it's wrong to prevent same-sex marriage or it's wrong to prevent somebody from transitioning. These are the same people that claim they have abortion rights. These are the same people that claim that there are transgender rights or gay rights or whatever rights. There are no rights if there is no objective morality. 
that yet they think they have moral rights. Dylan goes on to say, my student asked me how I would have responded. Well, some of the responses I've just mentioned, you can put them in the form of questions. You can say, so you don't think gays have rights? You don't think there are no, you don't, you don't think there are, are transgender rights? You don't think there are abortion rights? You don't think there are, uh, 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 that, that people ought to prevent climate change? You don't, I mean, of course they're going to start saying, well, I know that that's a right. Well, what's your standard then? I said, I would have asked them if Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? She told me she more or less did ask that. And they said, if there is a God, I wouldn't believe in the God of the Bible because I disagreed with what he did to Job. All right, let me stop right here. By what standard are you saying what God did to Job is wrong? Where are you coming up with this moral standard? And how could it be wrong if there is no objective morality? You, your whole position is there are no objective, there is no objective morality, but what God did to Job is objectively wrong. You can't have it both ways. Dylan said, I said, well, he's contradicting himself. If there is no morality, we ca he can't say what happened to Job is wrong. Exactly. I also told her that it sounds like he is not seeking the truth and he doesn't want God to exist and you can't make him believe if he won't listen to reason. That's true. And then he goes on, uh, Dylan says, to say, I feel this materialist view is becoming more prevalent we're just a product of evolution with atoms bouncing around in our skulls. Well, if, 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 if we're just a product of evolution with atoms bouncing around in our skulls, then anything we say we can't really trust, including the thought that we're just evolutionary machines with atoms bouncing around in our skulls. Why should we believe that's true? Why should we believe there is no objective morality if the thought that there is no objective morality just comes from atoms bouncing around in our skulls? In other words, materialism is the ultimate acid that destroys everything, including our ability to think anything's true, including materialism itself. It's self-defeating, ladies and gentlemen. So thank you for that question. There, Dylan, uh, because, yeah, it is prevalent, but materialism is collapsing upon itself. I mean, people realize that, are starting to realize anyway, that it is a very defective worldview. That even if it were, if it were true, you couldn't know it's true because there'd, there'd be no way to get out of your, uh, your moist robot status to discover what really is true. Because every thought you have is driven by the laws of physics, including the thought that materialism is true. We've talked about this much on this program before. Get the book Stealing from God if you want to go further. Daniel writes in, what are your thoughts on after uh, the after-death documentary? I didn't see the after-death documentary, but I'm familiar with near-death experiences, Daniel. Um, and uh, what does, what does near-death experiences, NDEs, tell us, therefore, about Christianity? Actually, they don't tell us much about Christianity. They do tell us about materialism, which is the question that Dylan had asked. Because if near-death experiences are real, and there are so many of these testimonies that can be verified, they're called veridical NDEs. Veridical NDE is one you can verify, not the kind that says, you know, I died and saw my grandma. You can't verify that. But you can verify someone who says, I was on the table. I, I, I then saw my body floating above the table. In fact, I floated above the hospital. And when this person was revived, this person told the doctors there was just an accident on 3rd in Maine. It was a red Cherokee and a black Cadillac. And... This just happened. I just saw it. 
And then the doctor, after the surgery, checks it out and says there was an accident at that time between a red Cherokee and a black Cadillac on 3rd and Main. Yet this guy was on the table the whole time. And when, I, when he came to, he told me that. How could he know? How could he know that? Well, there are several of those veridical NDEs. What does this prove? Doesn't prove Christianity, but it does disprove materialism because you can have what is called remote viewing. The consciousness of the individual survives and is remote from the body. The consciousness is miles away viewing an accident while the body's on the table. Now, I just got a book from a pastor. I haven't read it yet, but I'm going to take a look at it. And some of you may have heard of John Burke. He is a pastor who wrote a book about this. And of course, Gary Habermas is also an expert on this, the expert on the resurrection, Gary Habermas. And if you go to GaryHabermas.com, you can see more on NDEs. Anyway, John Burke wrote a book called Imagine the God of Heaven, Near-Death Experiences, God's Revelation, and the Love You've Always Wanted. I haven't read it yet. I've heard some good things about it. I'm going to take a look at it. Maybe we'll get John on the show and uh, talk more about it. At the very minimum, ladies and gentlemen, it disproves materialism, uh, and it shows that we are at least a duality. We're, we're not just a body. We're a body with at least a spirit or a soul, or maybe a spirit and a soul, okay, depending upon how you look at it. In any event, it doesn't prove Christianity, but it does disprove naturalism. If they're true, and there's so many reports of these that have been verified, I think they really are true. All right, uh, I got several more questions, but before I get to them, I want to point out that Bill Federer, who was just on our program in the last week's podcast at Christmas time, who did that wonderful Origins of Christmas podcast, you know, the one that's talked about Santa and Christmas trees and reindeer, are they really real? Are they pagan or are they Christian? Well, we're going to have him on this coming week to talk about the history of modern day Israel. I'm not talking about ancient Israel now, but modern day Israel, the Israel that began in 1948. How did it get here? What happened? Did they really push the Palestinians out of the land? What's the history of that? How did this happen? Because most people have no idea. And so Bill, who is an unbelievable historian, will walk us through that. It make us, may take us two podcasts to do it, but we're going to do it. So keep an eye out for that this coming Friday. Also keep an eye out for the new online courses we're running. The brand new, why I still don't have enough faith to be an atheist course, is going to run, uh, I think, January 15th it starts. If you sign up for the premium version, you're going to be with me on at least six occasions for live Q&A. It's our signature course. We've updated it completely. All new video, new workbook, the whole deal. And if you got a sixth to eighth grader that wants to learn this, take Let's Get Real with me and Shanda Fulbright, which also starts in January. Just go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses. You will see it there. Uh, I also want to point out that at the end of the year, this is when, you know, in the last, say, month and a half of the year, 40% of the donations we get all year come in. So if you're considering uh, donating to Cross-Examine or you already have, thank you, because 100% of your donations go to ministry, 0% to buildings. We're completely virtual. And in addition to going to college campuses, churches, high schools, in addition to all the stuff we do online, this podcast, the TV show, all the social media, we're about to take this 
uh, around the world and translate our best stuff and the stuff of other great apologists into 30 of the top languages in the world using our own proprietary AI. Go to crossexamine.org, click on donate. You'll see the four minute video that'll explain what we're doing. It's gonna require us to double our budget in the next two or three years. So we're gonna need your help to do it. Thank you so much for partnering with us to do this. All right, let me go to some of the questions that you sent in on the uh, live chat, or I should say the live stream we did the other night. You wanna go back and see the live stream. We had a lot of fun, me, Jorge, and Phoenix, going through the top videos of 2023 and 2022 and talking about lessons learned from the Q&A videos, and we did so much more on that live stream. But we had several questions on the live stream we couldn't get to. Michael writes in, here's one of the questions from the live stream. He said, how do we speak to people who call themselves Christians, but don't even know the centrals of the faith and are believing heresies instead of truth? How do we speak truth to them? Well, I guess it depends on the situation, Michael, but I would ask questions of them like, why do you believe that? Or what do you think the essentials of Christianity are? What is the gospel? Why do you, what, what is the central truth of Christianity? Why did Jesus come? Ask questions rather than make statements. It's much easier to ask questions. It's not as offensive if you ask them the right way. And people like to talk about themselves. So ask them questions, you know, to ask questions like, tell me your story. How did you become a Christian? And why did you become a Christian? Why do you think Christianity is true? And what is the, the, what do you think is the central truth of Christianity? And, you know, if you were to die today and stand before God and he would ask you, why, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? This is the old evangelism explosion technique that uh, D. James Kennedy developed. You ask that question, if, you know, people say, oh, it's because I'm a pretty good person and all, they, then they don't understand Christianity. You know, why did Jesus come? What is the true purpose of Christmas? Why did Jesus have to come into this world? I would say just ask a bunch of questions. Also, Michael, uh, people say, well, you ought not call out false teachers and all this, despite the fact that that's pretty much all the New Testament writers did. And the Old Testament writers as well. They were always calling out false teachings or false practices. Now, in our culture, the way to call them out is to ask questions rather than maybe make statements to people if you're talking to them personally. And uh, there's an article on our, our blog I wrote earlier this year about should we call out false teachers? So go to that, uh, go to our crossexamine.org blog and look for that. Maybe we'll put it in the show notes so you don't have to go to the blog. It'll, we'll have a link to it. We'll put it in the show notes for today's program. And uh, yes, if you're going to love people, you have to tell them the truth. You don't love people by allowing them to continue in their ignorance or allowing them or affirming them in their ignorance. As Thomas Sowell famously said, when you want to help people, you tell them the truth. When you want to help yourself, you tell them what they want to hear. And too often we're telling people what they want to hear so we don't take the blowback from them when they disagree. That's not helping them, that's helping ourselves. And in the spirit of Christmas, we want to help other people. Jesus sacrificed himself for us. In fact, he said, that's the one new command I give you. He loved one another as I have loved you. How did he love us? He sacrificed himself for us. We have to do that to love other people. We have to sacrifice ourselves to love other people. But when we tell them what they want to hear, you know what we're doing? We're sacrificing them for our benefit. That's not love. That's protecting ourselves. That's, that's enablement. That's not helping people. Sandy writes in, I've been interacting for 10 weeks now on a thread with various atheists about the fact that modern science was begun by Christians. How can we get it out to the general public that, that 
that this is true, that Christians started modern science. And how do we educate the public that early scientists weren't being persecuted, tortured and tortured and killed by the church? That's the narrative. Well, you can get a book that my friend Jay Warner Wallace wrote. It's called Person of Interest. And when you look at Jim's book, which is a fabulous book, by the way, he points out that over 200 founders of different areas of modern science were all founded by Christians. I mean, that's just what the facts are. Now, why were they founded by Christians? Because Christians believed in an orderly universe. In fact, I think it was Kepler who said, when we find cause and effect in the universe, we're just thinking God's thoughts after him. By the way, that's what scientists do. Scientists are trying to find causes for effects. That's what you're doing when you're doing science. You're trying to find which particular cause caused this particular effect. It's all about cause and effect. And the reason it began in a Christian science, that is, began by, was, be, was begun by Christians is because Christians believed in an orderly universe that was, that was set up and sustained by God, the ultimate cause. And it's not Christianity that is at odds with science. It is atheism that is at odd with science, odds with science, for the reasons I mentioned earlier in this podcast. That if we're just molecular machines, if we're just moist robots, if materialism's true, we shouldn't be able to do science. We shouldn't be able to find cause and effect in the universe because we're not following evidence. We're following physics if we're just molecular machines. But the reason we can use our three-pound brains to discover what's outside those three-pound brains is because we have this capacity known as free will. And we have this capacity known as reason, that we can follow the evidence where it leads, that every thought we have is not dictated completely by the laws of physics. Now, people might say, well, yeah, all those, uh, all those Christians founded modern science because everybody was a Christian back then. Well, first of all, that's not true. But even if it was, why didn't science start in China? They pre-existed Europe. Because they didn't have a theistic worldview. Whereas Europe was Christianized and had a theistic worldview and looked for God's hand in nature. And the idea that early scientists were being persecuted, tortured, and killed by the church is way, way overblown. And if you look at the whole Galileo situation, that had more to do with Galileo uh, disrespecting the Pope than it had anything to do with his views on, on whether or not the, the sun went around the earth or the earth went around the sun. So, uh, and he was put under house arrest. He was not tortured and killed by the church. Uh, so there's, there's, there's much misinformation out there about that. But you know, what you could say to them, Sandy, and this is a question from Sandy, is Sandy, look, even if they're right, what does it matter? What is it? Let, let, let's, let's say that Christians didn't start modern science. Who cares? I mean, it doesn't affect whether or not Christianity is true. What matters is, is that we've all fallen short of the standard of justice that we all intuitively understand. And if God is infinitely just, and he is, he must punish us. Yet he sent his only son into this world to be the perfect substitute for us. 
And that's the true meaning of Christmas, by the way. The true meaning of Christmas is the fact that God came into the world, added humanity to his deity, and allowed the very creatures that rebelled against him to torture and kill him so he could take our punishment upon himself. That way, he could remain just and justify those who have faith in Jesus. And this is what Paul says in his great book of Romans, Romans chapter 3, verse 26, that God remains just and is the justifier of the one who has faith, puts his trust, puts her trust in Jesus. If there was no moral standard, Christianity wouldn't be necessary. If we never sinned, Christianity wouldn't be necessary. In fact, I don't know if I've, I've mentioned this to you guys before. You know, you can get to heaven by being good. Yeah, you can. You just have to be perfect your whole life. Too late for me. How about you? Yeah, you wouldn't need a savior if you were morally perfect. And we all know. We all know there's a standard of justice out there, and we haven't lived up to it. No matter which side, even of the political aisle you're on, you know this. In fact, all the people who are woke out there, they're woke out there because they think there's injustice being perpetrated on people. Well, where does injustice come from? Or how do you even know what injustice is? Only if there's justice. Where does justice come from? Justice is not just a human concept. Justice goes beyond humanity. Justice is ultimately grounded in the nature of God. If it's just grounded in what I think or what you think, it's not real justice. It's just, again, a preference. So Christ came into the world to actually fix injustice, the injustice we've all done. And so by trusting in him, you're not only forgiven, you're given his righteousness. Isn't that amazing when you think about it? That you are, you're not only forgiven for what you've done, but you're given the keys to the kingdom. You're given the keys to a mansion. You've, you've been adopted into the family of God and you're an heir to the throne. It's beyond just being forgiven. You're given everything. That Christ accomplished himself, total righteousness, and you're an heir to the throne. Wow. That's what it's all about, ladies and gentlemen. That's why we're celebrating Christmas. Because Jesus is our sacrifice, a sacrifice that we need because we have all done evil. And everyone in their hearts knows this. Even the people up there at Harvard who are claiming, I just have my truth and you have your truth. Yeah, they're claiming there are certain rights. Even if they're wrong about those rights, they're claiming there are rights. By what standard? Everybody knows. And look, there's only two things you're going to get in the afterlife, ladies and gentlemen. You're either going to get grace or you're going to get justice. I don't want justice. And you don't either. We want grace. Justice is getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve, forgiveness and imputed righteousness. So remember that as you talk to people in this holiday season, if you can 
ask some questions to get them to consider the true meaning of Christmas, you can move them a step closer to Jesus. That's what it's all about. Getting people to become, first of all, followers, and then second of all, disciples. And that's what we're going to try and do in 2024, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to try and amp up our efforts. So again, if you can help us, just go to crossexamine.org, click on donate, partner with us to do this. We're, we're very efficient in, we're with your donated dollars. Zero uh, percent buildings, 100% ministry. And we're trying to reach the world now. So thank you for doing that. And we'll see you just before the new year with the great Bill Federer. You're not going to want to miss this podcast where he's going to explain how the modern day of Israel got to where it is. And it's going to be eye-opening. So blessings this Christmas. See you just before the new year.